welcome to Code 3 Families with your hosts, fire spouse and licensed psychologist, Dr. Rochelle Zemlock, and police spouse and licensed psychologist, Dr. Alma Garcia. How are you? Good. I'm good. How is everything going? <laughs> what am I? Two, uh, no, almost three weeks postpartum. Yeah. And um, her due date is actually coming up next week. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. That's so <laughs> weird to think about. Can you imagine still being pregnant right now? No, I was just telling Jay about that. I was like, <laughs> you know, because I went 41 weeks. Well, we both went 41 weeks last time. Right. Yeah. You went 41 yeah. weeks. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, yeah, that was harsh. Like that was really, yeah. really hard. 37 started getting hard for me um, because I wasn't comfortable anymore. Yeah. But I cannot imagine 40. still being pregnant. I mean, well, I, I think 41 with a second kid would be oh. insane. I think 41 without, it was without any kid, it was hard, but you just had yourself, you could like sit yeah. on the couch and just be That's like, right. uh, Oh my gosh. I can't imagine with a toddler. No, no not at all. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it, it either. So yeah, no, it's been like, okay, this is nice. Like this whole idea of like 37 weeks wasn't so bad. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I didn't have enough maternity leave before, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. She kind of cut into that. Yeah. So I like just thinking about that. So actually technically she would have, no, no, sorry. I said next week she would, this would have been her actual due date. Last week would have been the due date of my induction. So like if they would have oh, induced me. So right. this is like when I got pregnant this Thursday. So, so this Thursday would have been the The day that, um, yeah, like the day they told me when I got pregnant, Hey, this is when she's coming. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're adjusting, we're, we're doing it. Um, but what's been really funny is that, um, people are so surprised at the fact that I, that we have a kid, right? So, you know, COVID I think has made this kind of a, a weird time that I, I didn't see very many people. Like nobody knew that you were pregnant. Nobody knew I was <laughs> pregnant. Not even my neighbors. Can you believe that? Oh so, my goodness. So, okay, this is hilarious. We come home, right? And so we're, we're pretty close to our neighbors. Like we know them pretty well. They like, they've come and, you know, given us things. We've given them things, you know, that we're, we're pretty, pretty nice neighborhood. So we see each other. It's not like we don't see each other. We're not that kind of neighborhood that just like gets into their driveway and then off they go. Yeah. That's my neighborhood. We we talk to each other. (laughs) That's great. All of of us talk to each other. It's almost like, you know, everybody's business. Right. Uh And so we, we drive in to our driveway and Jay takes out the baby carrier uh-huh. and our next door neighbors are outside and they're like, um, the, the, our woman neighbor is like, wait, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? And our male neighbor, her husband is like, you didn't know she's pregnant right? <laughs> or she was pregnant. And then- <laughs> and Jay and I looked at each other and we're like what happened here like how come people don't know did she never see you pregnant 
I think she saw me, but you know, those times where you're just like, you don't want to be rude about like whether or not the person's pregnant or, you know, what's going on with them. Yeah. So I think she saw me enough to know that maybe like I was, my body was changing, but (laughs) never got confirmation that I was pregnant. Thought it was like the COVID-15 or something. Right, right. I think so. (laughs) And, and, you know, like, you know, I, I go on walks and everything, but, um, Sometimes I'd go on walks on odd, you know, at odd times of the day. So I'm sure she was like working or whatever, but she's not our only neighbor that that's happened to like, (laughs) literally, I think our, our front neighbor, I think has no idea that we even brought home a baby. (laughs) Right. And so So it's hilarious. I'm like, okay, this is COVID. And then I posted on social media, a picture of, of the baby. People were texting me like, you were pregnant this whole time you've been pregnant. I've been talking to you or texting with you and you've been pregnant. Like, yep. I've been pregnant. It is weird not seeing people. It was so weird that we do all virtual sessions and the screen doesn't go below like your chest line. So mm-hmm. I don't think any of my clients ever saw like, I think they forgot. Like I told them in the beginning, like around this time, I'm going to be out. And then when it came, they were like, oh, right. Like, it's like hard for them to remember. Like, but if they were coming here in person, it would be a whole big thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'm in therapy, like, you know, it takes over the conversation sometimes because people want to talk about like how you're Mm -hmm. doing and all those. And as a therapist, you're like, okay, this isn't about me. It's about (laughs) you. But I didn't have to worry about that because it didn't matter. But did you find to to me, like for me, I found that when I was telling people, they were just like, wait, what? Like, how did this, (laughs) you know, it was, it was almost more of a conversation. I guess you would have had little conversations here and there, but it became a conversation when I brought it up. Right. Or they would see you and and remember and go like, oh, okay, they're getting bigger. They're probably going out on maternity leave soon instead of like, forget and me having to bring it up so I'm just reminding you that I'm mm-hmm. gonna be out and they're like oh right or I would meet someone new like a new client and instead of them just going oh wow like you're pre-, I'd have to go so I have to tell you that I am pregnant and I'm doing it'd have to be like this whole yeah. conversation that's weird I'm it's sure. so weird so I have I have um, a client that I've seen for a really long time and <laughs> they say to me so how come you just keep having kids? <laughs> so they've been what? with me through one pregnancy, obviously, oh. and then the other, right? They're like, you have so many kids. I'm like, I have two. One. Like, That's I just, I'm, I'm having two now. <laughs> the normal and, amount. And they're like, oh, why do I feel like you have so many? <laughs> like, oh my goodness. People think I don't have kids and then people think I have too many, but yeah, this has been interesting. So that, that's kind of where I'm at where people like will see us or we don't, we still don't really see very many people other than our family, but like, you know, our neighbors will see us and they're like, what? Um, but did I tell you that? Oh, this is, this is odd. One of my neighbors was my first nurse during, uh, yeah. When like time post. Yeah post recovery or in recovery, like right post birth, whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, the nurse that sees 
everything. No. And touches everything. No. Yes. Okay. So I didn't know she was my neighbor, right? She's not yeah. necessarily my neighbor, but she's like lives in our neighborhood, like really close, like houses down. And you didn't like recognize her at the hospital. No, I'd never seen her. So, so oh. they're, they're like one of those couples that um, they're an older couple and they just kind of do their thing. Other couples that have kids, like, you know, everybody comes out and like, we've, um, you know, done like front yard kind of stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, that sort of thing, but they, they hardly come out. So I'm in the room and she's asking like, you know, where do you live? And you know, here's where I live. Um, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, Oh, me too. Um, whereabouts here. And she's oh, like, you found too. out in the hospital. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> so I'm like a couple hours out of giving birth. Okay. She is touching in places where neighbors should not no. even know exist. That <laughs> <laughs> I don't want my neighbor touching. <laughs> Could you be like, okay, I request someone else. I can't request you to move, but I can request a new nurse. <laughs> But I didn't. She was awesome. I didn't. I was just like, you know what? At this point, by the time I found out, she had already seen it all. I mean, it was already in You're her like, memory. Well, I guess we should hang out. We just got a whole lot closer. That's right. I was like, well, I guess I'll be bugging you about my newborn pretty soon because you know a whole lot about her yeah, and a whole lot about me. Can you come over and check my scar? That's right. <laughs> Do you think I can start exercising now? <laughs> Yeah. So that, so that was, that was really interesting, but then here's another one. So talk about like all these different things that happened at the hospital for me, you know, we're going into like this whole C-section situation. You know, the nurses got worried. My nurse got really worried for the, you know, the baby and and the, the heart rate. Yeah. And so my nurse comes in with three other nurses and they're Mm -hmm. all like checking on me. And um, one of the nurses gets really close to me and I see her badge necklace hanging out of her, um, her scrubs, scrubs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the badge necklace, right? And so I'm like, oh, she's a police, she's a police wife, right? And and, oh, I see what you're saying. Like an actual necklace that has a little tiny badge. Yes, I have one of those. Okay. Uh So, so for, I don't, I don't know if this is, you know, the thing, but like for other first responders, but like for police wives or police significant others, police spouses, once you get that badge, like you're official, right? Like (laughs) Either you get it when you're like engaged, you get it when you're married, you get it at some point. And this yeah. is like, you're, you're officially in, right? Yeah. Like you're in. And this is the signal that I'm the spouse, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, I'm obviously in it. I, I'm like, I'm yeah. like nervous about what's happening, but I see that badge come out and I was like, okay, note to self. She's a police wife, right? Yeah. You know, all of it happens and now I'm in recovery. And um, she is talking to us and I'm like, so I noticed your badge necklace, your police wife. And she's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> so Jay's in there with me. They start talking the entire time about <laughs> all this stuff happening in her husband's department, all this stuff happening <laughs> in his department. And I'm just like, all right, well, I, you're welcome for helping you guys have that connection. Yeah. But 
you know, it was all these little things that were happening. Excuse me. That was a really interesting one. I was like, I have to tell Rochelle about this. Yeah. It, it speaks to the community, right? Cause as soon as you see it, like, um, you feel like, oh, they're, you know, they're a friend, right? You, you kind of, it extends your, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really know how to say it, but when you feel like other people are from the first responder community, you, you know, they get it, you know, they understand it and you immediately feel more connected to them because it's so rare and unique. Well, and, and I think the other thing nowadays too, for us is that, um, it makes it so that you can be honest about what your first responder um, spouse does, right? Like now it's not like, you know, I work for this city, um, and that's yeah. it. It's more yeah. like, you know, I'm a police officer. Like, this is what I do. And also like Jay, for instance, can feel like he can talk freely. Yeah. Right. And, sure. and doesn't feel judged. Like they can like let down a little bit because it's like, okay, you're from the life. And I actually see that in my therapy sessions. Like I always like do an introduction and let them know like my background and who I'm married to, who's in my family and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll hear like throughout the session, usually the first responder go, well, you know, like you're, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I automatically know certain things, for instance, they, they mm-hmm. assume that I know because I'm married to, you know, a fire captain or I, they're like, well, you know, you're married to fire, like this, this, and this. And it's like, that's why sometimes it's so important for them to have a therapist because you want to trust your therapist. And this is a right. culture that, you know, it takes a lot to trust. And then when they know that you get it, they're like, they can let down a little bit and go, mm-hmm. okay, I can speak freely about what I'm experiencing versus I don't know if they would say certain things because they're going to go great. I'm going to have to explain to this therapist why I think that way. (laughs) Yeah. Or even like, um, what, how does this therapist see that particular situation, right? Like Mm -hmm. what's their, what's their judgment on it? What's their view on it? Um, it's just different. Yeah. So staying in that mindset. So it's interesting to see like Jay just had, you know, someone to chat with. And then suddenly, yeah. All good. Yeah, there was a connection. I love it. Okay, so this we said that this month we were going to keep talking about spouses and their experience and kind of sticking in like what goes on for a spouse at home and trying to get that message out there. So something that I thought maybe we could talk about today was spouses. There's this theme that continues to come up, whether it be in my therapy or the Zoom calls that we've done, and I think that spouses in first responder households feel underappreciated often. And there's a lot of different things that I think can come up around that. But I mean, let's talk about why that might be what's going on with them. And I think that we've talked about this a lot, like they're holding, we're holding so much of the household stuff and sometimes it's hard for first responders who are gone a lot or a lot of hours to know what even goes into that. Mm -hmm. It's hard for us to put it into words, but it's so much. And then, you know, they don't have to do it in the same way, like alone for a lot of hours and then feeling underappreciated. Like when you feel like other people don't get it for your own like experience, then you feel like they can't completely appreciate you, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know what comes to mind for you. Well, I was thinking about like, not just underappreciated, but also like not seen. It's, yeah. you know, it's yes. so, so much is done without, it almost seems like that's, that's how things happen. This is how it works. So then you become an unseen person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was even thinking like, as, as 
as we've been talking about this topic, like Mm -hmm. how we've created a parallel process in some ways uh, around this, like, and I'll explain the parallel process. It's like, you know, something happens in the outside world and you replicate it within, you know, a certain uh inside world, right? It usually happens in therapy. Like within your relationship, maybe or your household, you're replicating. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I, I would say that maybe we've replicated it with our conversation where because we're spouses, that almost seems like, yeah, this is what we go through, right? This is just what it is. Let's explain what happens to the first responder so that you can better understand what's happening with you. Mm-hmm. Yet it's hard to acknowledge what even your feelings are in this because you're so deep into it. Does, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, no, for sure. It's hard to put your experience into yeah. words. Yeah. And that's what we're hoping to do and trying to do. And yeah, feeling and when you say unseen, I think that's right on. And it speaks to like a theme that comes up a lot in first responder spouses is feeling alone. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about physically, we are alone a lot. We have to be very independent because of that. But I think that that then bleeds into feeling emotionally alone. Because if we're unseen, like nobody sees what I'm doing, like we feel alone, like we're, we're doing all these things. They're not seeing it or they don't understand it. And then I start Mm -hmm. to feel emotionally distant. Like I'm the only one who cares about this or I'm holding this or I'm, you know, and then you start to feel emotionally alone and not to mention the detachment that kind of occurs about the job. And that makes you feel even more alone. Like I don't get to hear about what they're doing and I'm holding all this myself. It's like, we're living two different worlds. Mm -hmm. For sure. And, and the, the alone piece is easy to adjust to sometimes too. Like I've been doing it alone. So I don't really need you. Mm-hmm. I've, I know how to hold it all together. So great that you can provide some things for me, but I've got it. Like when you're not here, I've got it. And so I think it also begin, begins to create um, a rift in the, mm-hmm. the relationship. I think it also creates this feeling of like, I don't need you. You don't do much for me. Even when maybe the first responder might be doing stuff for us, Mm -hmm. it just feels like we hold it together so much that Mm -hmm. what do I really need you for? Mm -hmm. And that's hard Mm -hmm. in a relationship when, when really you're supposed to be doing it together, Mm -hmm. but that's not how this was built to do it together. Right. And I think it's so hard to shift in and out of doing it together, doing it alone, doing it together, doing it alone, that sometimes it starts to look like doing it alone, doing it alone when someone else is here. Yes. (laughs) Like, like it starts to look like, yes, they're coming in and out of the house, but it can very easily transition to, well, I already do all this. So I just keep doing it when you're here. And then if things have gotten really hard in a relationship, it can be like, okay, you're here. Great. But now you're just one more body and emotional and physical needs that I now have to care for. And I've heard that come up for spouses before where it's like, okay, we're doing it. We're doing it. Yes, it's hard. But when my spouse is home, now I have to figure out whether or not, you know, there can be noise in the house because they're sleeping or if they're irritable and I can bring topics up or if, you know, they're going to blow up because they're angry all the time. It's like, now I have one more additional layer to manage mm-hmm. and that makes it even harder. And I'm sure that would be extremely hard to admit or say to your spouse, like 
things are harder when you're home now. And it's like, you want it to be easier because mm-hmm. you can share the load. But if it gets to that place where I can't bring things up to you, you're irritated all the time, you're angry, you, we have to be quiet in the house. It's almost like, gosh, when you're at work, it's almost easier because we've got it. We've figured right. it out, right. which is a really hard place to be. And, you know, I'm sure that's not like, I was going to say appreciated, but I'm sure there are lots of things that are not appreciated. And how easy is it to say something like that when you're angry too? Oh yeah. Right. And, and, um, how hurtful. Yeah. It's, and it's hurtful. And, um, and then I, I think about like how hurtful, but true it is too. And how do, how do you really say that without it being in a moment of, um, rage? Because that's important, right? I can't take care of your emotional needs. Yeah. I can't take care of the family. I can't take care of it all. And, and having, the spouse understand that. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, I don't know if you've ever gone to these, like, you know, whatever celebrations or Mm -hmm. holiday parties or whatever they are, like where the department puts them up out or that, you know, their squad or their, their, whatever it is. team. And I always really appreciate it because like, you know, the sergeants or the captains or the lieutenants will always say something nice about like, the spouses who are there, right? Like, thanks. Just wanna, yeah. I just want to mm-hmm. shout out the spouses mm-hmm. because you guys are so supportive, right? Blah, blah, blah. And like, it feels so good yet. It almost like the underlying in that message is like, this is kind of what you have to do, right? Like yeah. this, is what, this is what's expected of you. And this is what, you know, we know you do. Yeah. And that's really hard because although it's really nice, it's really hard to know that that's the place that we have taken, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we're the supporter. We're the mm-hmm. supporter of this person who role. does this really big job, right? Yeah. And and I'll say personally for myself, being a working, being a working woman, and and I, contributing to my family in the way that I contribute, it's really hard to feel like the supportive role. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts to like almost mess with my head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I've said before, like, as much as like, I want to be supportive of Jay, it almost seems like I need somebody who can like, you know, he has me and then I need somebody who can do it for me too. Right. And, and it's not like he doesn't do it, but I think because he's been given this or like it's been named or it's been said, like, you know, your job is so big, somebody should support you that we kind of get left in in the background. And again, not because he doesn't support it, but because no one says a psychologist should also have a very supportive spouse, right? Like that's never <laughs> like talked about. Or- yeah, that's a good point. It's not like you go to like some sort of holiday party for us and they go hey we just want to thank those spouses no, for never for being there for them like we know that you do a lot like <laughs> that's it's, a really good point it's almost like okay so our job right as a psychologist is is emotionally taxing yeah but um no one calls it out but everybody calls out first responders for having such an emotionally taxing mm-hmm. job. We have all these studies that go into it that say, like, mm-hmm. here's what happens. Um, and so now we jump into that supportive role. 
that's hard mm-hmm. because no one, no one sees it the same way for us. Okay. I'm going to play off that because something you're right. Cause you're like flipping my mind here going, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Like putting us in that perspective because you're right. And lots of studies are out there about how the work impacts therapists and psychologists. Mm-hmm. Right. And because that's where our training goes in and goes, Hey, you have to protect yourself. But what happens is it's our job. We learn about yes. it in school. It is our job to not bring it home. Exactly. It is our job to create boundaries so that it does not eat away at our <laughs> mental health or affect our relationships or make us depressed. Like it's our job to manage that. It's not yes. my husband's job, job <laughs> to deal with everything that I bring into the house. Like what an interesting thought. Uh, yeah. Well, but then I think we also play off of it as spouses too. We take away their responsibility to really take care of themselves and find boundaries and find a balance and find all these things because it's just kind of easier. Yeah. It's easier if um, I just do it because I don't know, they're going to come home and they're exhausted or, you know, they probably just went to a really emotional, you know, call or a really hard one or whatever. And I don't want to take away from the first responder at all. I don't want to say like, okay, their job is not hard. Obviously it's hard, but I think in some ways I, I also want um, to point out that like, it's exhausting to be your spouse sometimes <laughs> and yeah. we don't say it enough because you feel bad. Yeah. Right? It feels bad to say like, okay, I know this is an exha- exhausting job, yeah. but it's also really hard to be your spouse and, and make sure that everything else is taken care of and that you're taken care of right. because no one's really taking care of you. Mm-hmm. You're not even taking care of you because it's hard to even know if you can take care of you. Yeah. And I, and it's a good point because I hope this is changing and our future will look different with first responders, but it's not like, you know, our training where in the beginning, it's like, listen, this job is going to take a toll if you let it. And let's really focus on mm-hmm. how you're not going to let it happen. This is your job to make sure that it does not bring you down. It's not going to get in the way of your family relationships. It's not. And then there's like all this emphasis on how to not let it take you down because we need first responders, right? You know, I feel like the message is this is going to take a toll. Yeah. It's hard. And, and then that's like the end of the conversation. I think that sometimes there are other conversations that maybe happen, but they're not like strong enough. They're not convincing enough. There's not enough tools or skills to give them. Like, you know, a department will hand out the Gil Martin book in their academy. I think your spouse got one, right? Mm-hmm. To police officers. Mm-hmm do they really emphasize what that's for? Or they want to like check a box maybe to say like, we gave them this book, but like, I don't think those officers in the beginning understand how that could be useful, how important it is, how like hearing from multiple other people that are going, this is important and we're going to deal with it every single year. We're going to talk about how you're managing yourself, right? It's just kind of like manage yourself. Here's Mm -hmm. a tool, use it. If you don't use it, you know, that's, that's your Mm -hmm. fault. Right. And, um, I don't think there's enough education around that. And I will say like the spouse's part, like you said, like it's hard being your spouse. Absolutely. I will say that like when we go on zoom calls and do things like spouses are really, I mean, 
for the most part, like they are trying their hardest, like Mm -hmm. they're dedicating themselves to like figuring out how to do this role. And like, you know, if they're a stay at home spouse, they're like, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to try and get, you know, the uniform cleaned or pressed or do the, and it's just like trying to think five steps ahead. Right. So that this, you know, their partner doesn't have to do these things because they see it taking a toll on them and they Mm -hmm. love them, of course. And so they want to try and make it like a nice home to come home to, like something happy, something quiet, something, you know, things are already done for them. Good food. Like you've talked about that before, wanting to like give them because you love them. Of course, you're trying to do everything you can. And I think it's hard, especially when you're wrapped up in first responder world of emergencies to Mm -hmm. remember that, to see that to come home each shift and appreciate and say, wow, I've noticed this, this, and this. Thank you so much. I know there's a lot going on here or like, because you're dealing with 911 emergencies and traumatic calls. It's like, it's hard maybe to appreciate the small things like um, dinner being made, you know, or your uniform (laughs) being cleaned or things being organized, like the kids just bathed so no one has to worry about it like just simple things like that that Mm -hmm. I think the spouses are it takes a lot to get all that done and and trying to do it with their first responder spouse in mind and then when that's not acknowledged ongoing and appreciated that spouse starts to feel like well geez I do ton of stuff and it's not really seen or acknowledged Mm -hmm. or appreciated and then like you start to feel resentment because it is a lot to take care of yeah and and I think in some ways there's no there's no stopping the first responder brain it goes fast right Mm -hmm. they're used to emergency situations they're used to all of these things happening and to even like as a department to even think we're going to sit and have a conversation about this that's a waste of time we've got budget cuts we've Mm -hmm. got all of these things happening like we just need to get them out on the street yeah and they'll figure it out, right? They'll, yeah. they'll figure it out. And then the other thing I, I, I comes up is a psychologist is more, I don't want to say it, like it's seen more as like a, a female job, right? Like mm. there are female psychologists. I mean, I think that's changed for sure. Like yeah. it used to be a very male dominated. Yeah. Um, this is how our, our profession started, but as time has gone on, it's become, you know, very female dominated. Mm-hmm. And a first responder job is very male dominated. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we can ignore the fact that stereotypes are a part of all of this. Like as a male, you're not going to sit and think about all these emotional things that are going on for you. Like you can just like go- get through them, right? Like you don't have to think through them. You don't have to do any figuring them out. Like they just happen. And in our profession, it's very much like, think about what's going on for you. Think about like how that impacted you. Take a moment like you said, don't bring it home. All of these things are things that we're told and we're expected to do. And I have to say, like, I wonder if like this whole stereotypical idea of like male versus female professions has something to do with it. And then how it plays out in our homes too. Mm-hmm. Like how, how does that play out when, yeah, I walk into my home and it looks and it feels and it smells really good, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say anything because that's what I expect. Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I expect it to happen and how much of that is, is bred within how we're supposed to acknowledge things in our job too. Like in our job for us as psychologists, like we take in all of the information that comes in 
Mm-hmm. And like you've said before, as a first responder, you're not supposed to take in all the information mm-hmm. because if you do, that's detrimental to your job. Mm-hmm. Now they're coming in and they're noticing all these great things. Are they going to like pinpoint all the great things? No, they weren't. That's not where, what their mindset is like. Mm-hmm. And then it puts us as a spouse in this really crummy place of like, I just did all of this mm-hmm. and you don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so glad you said this because this is you're saying, well, that's not their mindset. Okay. There's a whole new level. So there's not acknowledging is one like level of it. And then there's another level of it where their mindset actually at work, we talk about hypervigilance and being on alert and so that they can notice danger, you know, Mm -hmm. anything, pick up on dangerous situations, right. To protect themselves. So in that hypervigilant, hyperstimulated mode, they come into the house still detecting things. And the new layer is critical of what you didn't do, what you didn't do. And that comes up a lot where fire and police, I hear it from both couples where it's like they come home and they're in this like hyper stimulated, like point out detail oriented mode. And then it's like, why are there dishes in there? Why are this? And like clean your room up and did it. And it's like, why aren't things perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so there's not being acknowledged, which is hard. And then there's this other layer that can turn into where it's uh, a critical mode. And not that they're like coming home to be critical, but by pointing out what hasn't happened, it comes off as criticism to the spouse who has tried the best they can. We talk about surviving when they're gone, right? Is Mm -hmm. in survival mode. Things one, things don't always get done. And then two, like maybe every, like 90% of it has been done and you're focusing on the 10% that has mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. that feels like criticism. And I've heard that over and over again. It's like where they come home and everyone's just kind of like, oh gosh, what have we missed? Because yeah. they're going to point it out. And and then to think that's kind of what they do in their job, right? Like this is this is it. This is yeah. how they handle their jobs. They have to make sure that they point out, figure out, see all the things that could potentially be wrong because that's what keeps them safe. If yeah. they can figure out all the things that are wrong, yeah. then they're safe. Then they're safe and, at the end of the day. And yep. you know, they come home and that's how they're they're doing it. Yeah. As a spouse, that feels crappy. Like I just worked all day and you're telling me this. Yeah. Or, or, you know, you haven't been home. I've been doing it on my own. Like you don't know what that's like. And then now to point this out, it's like, well, I can show you why that's not done, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I don't think you want to hear that. Yeah. That does feel really hard. And I think it, it starts to probably eat at your motivation to do it over and over and over again, because you're like, well, forget it. Like I am trying my best. And if that's not being acknowledged and actually being criticized, then like, why am I holding it all together? Yeah. And, and then it just shifts the dynamic in the relationship. And just, I just had this thought when you were saying, yes, that brings them home at the end of the shift, right? Notice everything that's wrong. Absolutely. That's their mindset. And then another, Another piece of that that we talk a lot about is control, right? Mm-hmm. At work, one, they need to have control over situations. They are the authority on scene. They need to make decisions. But a lot of things are out of their control in the sense that bad things happen, 
right? And we they see it over and over and over again. As much as they would like to prevent all bad things from happening, they keep happening. So there is this probably control piece about coming home and mm-hmm. taking control over the house, right? You just like read my mind. I'm like smiling over here and you're probably <laughs> noticing it because you read my mind because you said authority, right? They're, yeah. They are the authority. Yeah. And that I think happens a lot in in families and couples where they still think that they are running things like they would at work. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll speak, I'll speak from a um, law enforcement side where you just talk to me like that, like you think I'm going to respond to you when you talk to me like that or the facial expressions that happen sometimes where it's oh, like, let more. me try to intimidate you, <laughs> okay. right? Let me try to intimidate you because that's what I do at work to keep myself safe. Yeah. And, and then it's like, you're doing what, like you're doing what to me. And, and, I, and uh, it's not a conscious process, right? There's no, gotta be this like mode that they're, they're in because they're in it so often yeah. that it almost becomes a part of their profile in some right. way, right. That right. it just like, it becomes natural to them yes. at work. And yes. if it's natural at work, it becomes natural at, at home. Yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I'll just say for, for Jay in the very beginning of our relationship, like I just have to point it out. And I think I was so fresh into it and Mm -hmm. I would just laugh at it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't think that was helpful, obviously, (laughs) but I'd be like, you're doing what right now? Like you really want to do that right now? Because this is clearly not going to work. Right. (laughs) But there's a sense of like, if I do this, maybe not if I do this, but uh, there's a sense of when I do this at work. It, it works for me. Mm-hmm. So why not do it at home? Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a conscious thing. It's just the way that yeah. it, it functions. You just start applying it to all situations. And then now it becomes a, a hard thing for the spouse. Right. Yes. And I will take it a step further and say that I've heard, you know, spouses uh, say like, you know, you, you've just talked to me like an inmate. Yeah. You know, and like, hello, like you, just, I'm not an inmate. Like, why are you talking to me in that way? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I don't know if it came out consciously, but in the midst of either an argument or frustration or irritability, like it's very easy for them to be in that mode because they're maybe in it so often. And, uh, I don't think that's an uncommon experience. You know, it happens, uh, or maybe, you know, in firefighting, it might be if someone's in charge, you know, like a captain and they're in control of their crew. And it's like, you know, you get used to kind of barking orders, mm-hmm. you know, here's what we're doing today. Here's it, you know, and you're just like in control mode. And I will say Gottman's research, I, I don't have the percentage on me, so I won't speak to like the percentage part, but I know that part of his research shows that when males share, and it's specifically males, it did not turn out the same for females, but when males share the load and accept what he calls accepting influence from your spouse, meaning like where when your spouse says, Hey, you know, this is something, something you should change or suggest some way to change when the male goes, yeah, you're right. Like I do do that. And, and kind of like, we'll shift and change <laughs> <laughs> that that actually equals more successful marriages that are more intimate. Right. So think about first responders doing that and how potentially <laughs> rare that is for them to just accept influence and share authority in the relationship. 
Yeah. Can we talk about authority? Because <laughs> I think authority has a lot to do with, with some of these dynamics yeah. that happen at home that we don't talk enough about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes so natural to them. Yeah. And so unnatural to us, like as a spouse, there's very few places where you have that type of authority. And I, you know, I talk to Jay about this all the time. Do you realize the kind of authority that you have? And um, do you realize the kind of authority that you have when you, when you have a uniform and a badge on? And I think in some ways it's become so natural and it becomes so natural to them that they don't realize that like, this is authority. Like this is, and, and, you know, they see other first responders, they see law enforcement as their buddies. And so, you know, like here are other, other first responders that it's, it's not the same. Like when you're walking down the street and you see like, Oh, here's a, you know, police officer for them. It's like, Oh, like, I wonder what they're up to. Like they're curious about what they're, they're doing Yeah. versus like for the normal person, it's like, Oh crap. Like yeah. you feel the authority that walks in the room. Right. Yeah. Um, and do you ever feel it? Like I do this. Like if I remember like being on a run before and see, like I'll see like um, usually a male, and I will go, hmm, I would put a good guess on that's a police officer because there is a certain <laughs> role. I mean, there's a certain way they carry themselves, right? Yeah. And I, I call it command presence. I think you have this command presence and I'm sure they learn that at some point because you have to roll in with a command presence, right? Like yes. kind of stand taller, your shoulders are back, you know, you're you're looking people in the eye and making eye contact. And I just feel like there's this sense that I get when I'm like out on a walk or, or something. And when there's like a male who's like clean cut, looks you directly in the eye to greet you, you know, say hello, you know, when you're passing someone and they've kind of walk at this like shoulder and they just have this, com- this presence about them that is in control. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, I bet that's a police officer. Like I just kind of, and then of course, if they have a fanny pack on, it's like, duh. Fanny <laughs> pack. For the record, Jay does not wear a fanny pack. Okay. Just backpack? That clear. Backpack. Um, <laughs> diaper bag, maybe. <laughs> He's walking around by himself with a diaper bag. <laughs> with my diaper bag. I know. <laughs> anyway. um, no, no. You, it's funny you say that. Because fanny packs Jay, are back in. They're all going to no, have them. <laughs> oh, dear. <sighs> Here goes another thing we have to withstand. The fanny pack. <laughs> Sorry, um, Jay. No, Jay will say that. He'll be like, oh, yeah, right there, that guy, he's a police officer. You can tell. You can it's tell. so funny. It's like, yeah, I think I think you're right. You can tell certain things that they do. Yeah. That um, firefighters makes harder it. to tell. It's harder because yeah. they can like, oh, you know, no, I'm going to take that back. When you see a very, I want to say disgusting, but mustache <laughs> that is... <laughs> I don't like them, but when there is some sort of crazy looking mustache and you look at that person and go, why would they have that? That's a firefighter <laughs> because it's the only facial hair they're allowed to have because their masks, like when they go into fires, their breathing ah. masks, you can't have any sort of beard or else it won't suction to their gotcha. face correctly. Uh-huh. So they can only have mustaches. If everyone was wondering why they have these gross looking mustaches, <laughs> it's because it's their only source of, we're going to talk about control. 
in like growing something yeah. out because their hair, <laughs> well, at least at our department, their hair has, it can't touch their collar. Right. So mm. it can be grown in certain ways, but not so long that it touches yeah. the collar. Right. And then the mustache is the only thing they're allowed to grow. So we have that conversation about mm. every November when everyone's growing it. And I'm like, Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's your control right not there. Happening. <laughs> not in my family. But my husband accepts influence. And <laughs> goes, okay, got it. My wife doesn't like it. Not all firefighters feel that way. And they're like, no, I'm growing it out. <laughs> I think it's a big motivator when your wife doesn't like it. I'm, you know, some. just saying. For some, yeah. For some. Oh, boy. When, okay, I pulled up the um, Gottman's quote. So when a man is not willing to share power with a partner... 80, there's an 81% chance his marriage will self-destruct. Oh, wow. That's high. And that's over time, mm. right? Like if it's a consistent, not willing to share, it's like what I say goes, like this is how we're doing it. And when the spouse is like, well, you know, maybe you can change in these ways, these ways, these ways. Like if there's no acceptance mm. of that, like eventually doomed to fail in ways, mm-hmm. which is super serious. And so why it didn't affect um, women. And, and he explains this is that he's like, that's a bigger conversation, but it did not show the same impact for women. And he said, what we kind of noticed is that women tend to do this kind of naturally. They just like kind of, you know, share power. They accept influence. If someone suggests something, if their partner suggests something, they usually, they take their feelings into account when they're making that decision. Mm. And they, and that's probably a social norm that, women are kind of placed into like there's a conversation about like be nice and and share and you know those messages mm-hmm. we get growing up and so that's why it wasn't the same for women because it was kind of like well they're all kind of naturally doing it in their marriages mm-hmm. and that's what they found which is interesting that's really interesting because I, I I wonder what this looks like for first responders where control is such a big part of of the um the life, right? I was, I was even thinking, putting myself in that situation. And um, I think I've told you this before. So I work at a job where I have very little control. And when I first started working there, I was a resident and the, the job started taking a toll on my relationship Hmm. and I started noticing it and so much that, and, and I was with Jay, right? And so we had been in our relationship at a previous job where that job gave me all sorts of control. Like I had mm-hmm. so much control. It was just like, it was liberating, right? It was like, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up leaving because I had to do my residency and I decided to do it somewhere else. Well, in this residency, there was very little control. And I started noticing myself like wanting to even tell him like how to do certain things that made no sense or mm-hmm getting really annoyed when he wouldn't let me choose a restaurant to eat Mm -hmm. at, right? Like these certain things that I started noticing and I was like, okay, I need to shift something because this clearly is not going to work for our relationship if I continue to act this way. But here's, you know, a profession where um, they thrive off of the control that they have and they have to have sense of control. Mm -hmm. And how does that affect our relationship? So Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to, I think one more thing I want to say about authority in relationships. And we talked about in one of our episodes, like, you know, Gottman's research on what predicts divorce. And 
contempt, if you remember, which is kind of either putting your partner down or acting superior, belittling them, your eye rolls, those looks that are given like seriously, like anything Mm -hmm. that kind of indicates your partner is not on the same playing field as you. That is the highest predictor of divorce. The more they saw that in a relationship, the more likely that couple was going to divorce in the future. And that kind of comes along with that like superiority, right? Like, yeah, I'm, my ideas are better, you know, or I know what's right, you know, and it's kind of putting your partner down in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that along with that criticism, like things that come up, like things that we as spouses kind of are have to be a more, uh, a greater role and because we're home alone. Right. So we talked about like household responsibilities, cleaning up, but like parenting, parenting yeah. your kids, because we're 100% there with them. You know, right. the first responder comes and goes based on their schedule. And even when we're a working parent, we're still in charge of what's going on with the kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've heard a lot like where first responders will get really frustrated with um, the parenting and then like say something that can be very hurtful. Like you're too soft on them yeah. or you, you let them run the house or you, which is a very critical statement because you're blaming someone. Um, and you know, as a spouse, it's like one, I didn't ask to be the sole responsible one for parenting. Like I mm-hmm. never thought that I would have to take that on and to like, how do we do this together? Even though you're, you're gone. And then if things aren't working out the way you want to, like blaming is just like, oh my gosh, a recipe for a huge argument. And if it's not going to be an argument, because that spouse doesn't want to say anything about it, then it's resentment, right? You just go internal with it. But that is hard because we didn't ask for this role to take on. We have to take on all the roles, right? Like Mm -hmm. the authority at home and the nurturer at home and the protector and the, because I have to do it when he's gone. Right. You had to do it all. And I don't know if one person was meant to do that. People do it. Obviously, there's single parents out there who are doing it. But when you have two, it's like, okay, but now I have this other one coming in and criticizing me for the things that I'm choosing to do when no one taught me how to be Mm -hmm. a single parent half the time. Yeah, for sure. No, I I think that's that's absolutely right. (laughs) I'm going to wrap it up because she's crying. Okay. All right. So I think that was a lot that we had to say about just feeling underappreciated and trying to make it um, at the forefront of everyone's mind that spouses, you're doing a lot out there and we do see you and hope that you're able to communicate about some of this to your partners. We will see you next week. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Code 3 Families. We hope you enjoyed the show. Our goal is always to provide you with accurate information based on what we know from our lives and our professional experience. But please remember, this is not a replacement for therapy. If you need a therapist, please go find one. If you happen to be a resident of California and you're looking for a therapist, you can reach out to me, Rochelle Zemlock, at firstrespondersfamilypsychology.com. Thanks. Stay safe. Oh,